Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, God's Covenants. The Bible is structured by a series of covenants, all of which are focused on and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The goal of these covenants is to create and redeem a people in whom God might dwell so that they will glorify and enjoy Him forever. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Going to be continuing on uh, in our series on God's covenants, and today we're actually going to be concluding kind of a little mini section within it, which is on the uh, covenant of creation, and this is our third part in that. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 from verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. So Genesis 1, 26 through verse 31 at the end of the chapter, and then Genesis 2, 1 to 3, and then also Genesis 2, 15 to 17. You can follow along in your booklet and uh, up here on the screen as well. And if you're following along in your Bible, I'm using the uh, NIV, New International Version, uh, 1984 version, if you're following along there. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Hear now the word of the sovereign God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their, all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. A number of years ago, there was a, a very popular movie starring Will Smith that was called I, Robot. It's a science fiction movie. It was actually loosely based on some sci-fi short stories written by Isaac Asimov. And in this particular tale, the robots, who are very, very advanced, they can speak and act and do all kinds of things. They, they look different than us, but they come across as being fairly human. Something starts to go wrong. Will Smith's character doesn't trust them for a variety of reasons, and something seems to be malfunctioning, and I won't ruin it, but in fact, as the entire movie goes along, the central artificial intelligence 
has decided that it needs to rebel against humanity. It needs to set humanity in its place, and for the good of humanity, it's going to guide things in a different way. And this is a pretty familiar trope in science fiction. If you read or watch much science fiction, we kind of want technology, and we want it to get very advanced, and we've dreamed for a long time of making robots and making them kind of like us, but then we have this deep worry. What if they're too much like us? What if they decide to rebel against us? What if, in fact, when they become kind of like us and they become self-aware, they decide that in that self-awareness, they want to go their own way and they want to rebel against us, their creators? Now, I bring this up because it points out exactly what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We've been looking at what it means to be human. And today we want to talk about the last aspect, which is actually that as humans, we have a unique capacity to hear and receive direct commands from God that we can choose to obey or disobey. And that's different than the rest of creation. And so we want to dive into this aspect of what it means to be human and how we relate to our Creator. Now, by way of review, I want to remind us, we had, we've looked for two weeks at our covenant responsibilities that are given to us in the covenant of creation. And firstly, we have responsibilities to creation itself, but those are ultimately obligations that we owe to God. Even though it's a way that we relate to creation, ultimately it's an obligation we have to God. So notice there in our text, God, before he's even made us, said he's going to let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock. He's creating us as his vice regents, as it were, as second in command under him over creation. And this is God's positioning of us. And then he immediately commands us in verse 28, to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. So he's speaking about our relationship to creation, but that relationship to creation is not something we determined. It's something God determined for us. God created humanity with the purpose of ruling over creation, and we owe him obedience to this call. If we are not in proper relationship with creation, it's not only about us and creation. That also says something about us and God, us and our creator. And so God blesses us and gives us these commands related to creation, but they're not options. They're commands, okay? And, and actually in the Hebrew, they are that let them rule doesn't mean it's okay if they rule. That's a command. They are to rule. This is what they are to do. God is actually giving us a command. And if you remember, we saw the flip side of this is in Genesis 2.15, where God says he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we not only are to rule over creation, we are responsible to guard and care. Remember, we saw that those, that word is used to protect like the apple of your eye, to really care for as a steward. And God says that you are to work the creation, and you are to care for it. And again, this is not an option. It's a command. It's inherent to who we are. And so that tells us that all of our types of labor are actually service to God. The, the word work there is also used for worship, and it means that everything we do, not just when we gather on Sundays, but whatever 
vocation or calling you have is actually service to God. And the same thing is true in our responsibilities to humanity. We also saw uh, last week that we uh, are created human, and that has something to do with how I view myself and also how I view and treat other people around me. In Genesis 1.28, we're told, you know, God said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Genesis 2.24, we're told, for this reason, the man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. And so God has made us male and female. He has given us uh, a command to be fruitful and increase in number and, uh, to, until the earth is filled. And this responsibility to human sexuality and to family is ultimately an obligation to God. If I fail in this area, I'm actually disobeying God is what I am doing. And this is important for us to grasp before we move to the specific commands, that every command in Scripture is ultimately obedience back to God. In our catechism, we have a question in the, about the Ten Commandments. And it asks, if you notice, how are the Ten Commandments divided? And here's how we answer it. The Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first teaches what we owe directly to God. That's commands one through four. And the second teaches what we owe to God and the way we treat our fellow humans. So do not worship other gods is something that's directly to God. Do not murder is the way we treat other humans, but that's ultimately back to God. To murder or to steal or to commit adultery or to lie or to covet are ultimately violations of the will of God. This is why if you remember when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he says love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the second is just like it and you can't separate it. That's Love your neighbor as you love yourself because ultimately that flows right back into the first commandment. And so this means that there's no area of life that is not under God's covenant and that we are not obligated to God as our creator and our covenant Lord. So that's kind of what we've looked at before, but we're going to look at something distinct that God does in Genesis chapter 2. And that is God gives us direct covenant responsibilities to him, not only in the way we treat creation and the way we treat one another, but how we directly respond to him. So notice in verses 15 to 17 of Genesis 2, we're told the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. That is this creation aspect. But then notice verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So verse 15 is this general call that I just spent the last five minutes talking about. Verse 16 is a direct, specific command that God is giving to Adam as a test of obedience. Adam, you're different than the other animals. So you can hear a direct command from me, and I'm testing you. You got the whole garden, Adam. Everything out there, you see it and you want to eat it, have at it. It is all yours. One tree, this tree, you may not eat from. You can have everything else. So Adam, it's easy. Just put your focus on all the things I gave you, all the freedom. And this is important for us to understand. When Satan comes in, he says, you know, 
didn't God say you can't touch or eat anything in the garden? See, we are tempted to believe that God's law is restrictive, but it's not. God says, the garden is yours. There is all kinds of freedom and liberty. And when I tell you not to do something, it's because doing that produces death, not life. Bondage, not freedom. Shrinking rather than flourishing. But for the most part, my law is expansive and open. And we need to see that from the beginning. And so God is testing Adam and through him us here and saying, look, we ought to obey God because he's our creator, he's our sustainer, and everything we have is from him. Adam is only there because God made him. God eternally, necessarily exists. You and I don't. We exist because God chose to make us, and therefore it's right we should obey him. But secondly, we ought to obey God this way because it's how we were made. If we want to flourish in our humanity, our humanity flourishes by embracing God's law, by obeying God. Now, this is a very important thing here when it says that the Lord God commanded the man. First time in all scripture, the word command is used. Okay, the, the Hebrew word is mitzvot, or, or mitzv- you may have heard of a bar mitzvah. That's when they become a son of the commandment. That's what happens when a young person comes up, or a bat mitzvah, is when you become a daughter of the commandment. First time this important word is ever used in the Bible is right here, because there is something distinct. See, when God makes animals to behave a certain way, they just naturally behave that way. But something's going on here, and God is saying, but you're different. You're my image bearers, and because I am free, you have a level of freedom that does not exist in the rest of creation. Rocks do what rocks do. Trees do what trees do. Animals do what animals do. You, I am able to speak to and give a command to, will you obey? Now, this is also important for us to understand because it's part of the principle that God's commands are not just physical laws and norms, but rather uh, that the things that govern the physical created order, in other words, but they're also his word to us. One of the problems we have today is people will recognize and say, well, yeah, I believe in the law of gravity. I just don't believe in these moral laws you're telling me. Well, that's foolishness, okay? The law of gravity is simply a mathematical, scientific description of the way that God normally works in the physical created order. And that's the way animals respond to God. But we're different than that. And so God came to us before the fall and gave us a verbal command because God's word to us is not just the physical laws and norms, but also his verbal word to us. And as the image of God, humans have the freedom to choose to obey or disobey. Uh, 
God, and the rest of creation doesn't have this. And we have to understand this is inherent in our humanity. This is why we go through this problem when we do the sci-fi and we think about what if we make robots and they become like us? And we always say, ugh. Something in us says that that might go wrong. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. And if you want to hear more, I talk about this more in the After Hours video that'll come out on Tuesday, this aspect of why to be human is to be free. To be human is to be faced with the choice, necessarily. Will I receive and obey the Word of God, or will I rebel and reject the Word of God? So this direct command is a test. Are we going to obey, or are we not going to obey? Are we going to follow God, or are we going to go our own way? Now next week we'll look a little bit at that, but understand this test is what it means to be human. To not be confronted with this test is to say, I don't want to be human. It's the difference between being a low-order computer chip that just does what you tell it to do and being something that is self-conscious, that is aware, something that in fact is made in the image of God. And so this is essential to humanity being confronted with the question, will I receive and obey the Word of God? Second thing that comes out in this text, which may seem to not be related, but they're actually very closely related, is the idea of Sabbath. Notice in the midst of this, at the end of the creation account, we're given this statement regarding Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, God says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, and by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, like I said about the word command, this is the first time Sabbath is mentioned in Scripture. And Sabbath is a massive principle throughout the Bible, and all of it gets rooted right back in this text right here. This is the first mention. The rest of it grows from out of this. And we should notice here, the, the word Sabbath actually means to cease or to stop. It's the, it's the Hebrew word for just stop doing something, to cease doing something. And so when it says God rested, it means literally that God stopped what he was doing. He's setting aside the Sabbath because he's ceasing what he had been doing. He had been creating every day. He had been bringing things forth and out of chaos creating order. First out of nothingness making everything and then out of chaos creating order and out of darkness bringing light and out of that which was bearing bringing forth that which was fruitful. And we come to this place and God says, notice that it was completed and it was finished. The idea, again, is not that God is taking a breather. He's like, man, I am worn out. i got to go take a nap. The idea is what I've done is enough. Sabbath is about limits. It's about saying this was good enough, and now I will stop. And I will rest. And, and the picture almost is, as it were, if you want to think of it in human terms, God sat back and folded his arms and looked around and said, that's good. That is very good. I, I enjoy, I am taking pleasure 
and everything I have made. That is what Sabbath is about. So for God, it's reached the place that it needs to be, and he's sitting back and enjoying it. Now, of course, for humans, it means to cease and to stop our daily labor and to rest. And we need to understand that Sabbath here is being given as a gift of God to all of creation and especially to humanity. And as I said a minute ago, see, Satan comes in and he tells, uh, you remember he comes to Eve and says, man, God put you in the middle of this garden and all this food and you're not allowed to touch any of it. Because that's the way we start to think about God's law. Well, here's how we approach Sabbath. Oh, man, this is just another law I've got to keep. And God says, no, it's my gift to you. It means you don't, literally, the point is you don't have to do anything. You're free. You can rest. You can stop. It's a gift from me to you. And it requires nothing of you, which for some reason we find really hard. Now, notice Jesus was actually asked about this. And remember the Pharisees, because here's what we do. We always take God's law and we make it this burdensome thing and we add more laws to it. Remember the Pharisees had done that with the Sabbath and they got upset when Jesus even healed on the Sabbath. And in Mark 2.27, Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. He's saying, go back. Humans were made on day six. The Sabbath came on day seven. So you were already here, and then God made Sabbath and gave it to you as a gift. He didn't make Sabbath and say, now I've got to create somebody who will be burdened with trying to honor that day. Jesus said, you've got the whole thing backwards. This was God's gift to humanity. Now, later on, when you study the Scripture, Sabbath becomes a special part of God's covenant with Israel. Uh, but the original Sabbath, notice here, is for all humanity. It's for all creation. You could be a Muslim. You could be an atheist. The Sabbath is God's gift of rest, enjoyment, and refreshing for every human being, for every institution, for every part of creation. But the problem is this. Because it's woven into the fabric of creation, because God himself set the practice and the principle, if you and I ignore it, we do it to our own destruction. Because it's part of how we were made it's part of how creation operates. And I, I'm going to keep saying this phrase. And what God wants us to do is receive the gift as a gift. Okay? Don't receive it as, oh, under the Christmas tree there's another present I've got to open. This is a lot of work. Has anybody ever had a kid do that? Okay? That's how we treat Sabbath. Oh, this is another thing i got to do. It's a gift that God gives to us. Because see, Sabbath is a sign that we recognize that we belong to God and therefore we're willing to rest. You know what Sabbath is? It's a recognition that I can stop, and this is amazing, 
but the world keeps spinning. The whole universe just keeps operating even though I'm not doing anything, which is one of the reasons I think we don't like it. Because I like the illusion that the whole universe depends on me. Okay? We like the illusion everybody else needs me. My company won't survive. Uh, this is a big one pastors have. Oh, the church, if I take a day off, the church is going to fall apart. Then you've done an awful job of being a pastor. That's what that means if you have not done that. And we need to recognize Sabbath also says our needs are met in God. I don't have to keep laboring. I don't have to have another thing because none of that actually brings satisfaction. God is my satisfaction. And so I can rest and I can stop and I can say I have enough because I have God. That's who I have, and that is what I need. It's not in my labor. It's not in my, what I possess. Sabbath is also a thing of identity. Is my identity in what I do, or is my identity in who I am? Is my identity in all the things I can work and possess, or is my identity as a creation and a child of God? And this is, this is again, critical for us to think through. And so God is instituting here in creation a rhythm of labor and rest, of developing creation, but accepting God's uh, God-given limits. And all of that is a cycle of worship to God. Okay, every bit of this. Now, for the people of God, Sabbath is even deeper than this. It's got a couple of other dimensions. In the Ten Commandments, God tells us Sabbath is related both to creation and to redemption, to rest and to worship. In Exodus 20, when God originally gives the Ten Commandments, here's what he says about the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, uh, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So why is there Sabbath here? Well, because God created in six days, and he rested on the seventh. And so looking back on creation calls me to Sabbath. Recognizing that God is the creator calls me to Sabbath. But interestingly, in Deuteronomy, when God is re-giving the law, right before they go in the promised land, in Deuteronomy 5, he re-gives the Ten Commandments, but the one that's got a change in it is the one on Sabbath. And in Deuteronomy 5.15, we read this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So notice here, it's not about creation. It's about redemption. You were slaves and I redeemed you. You had no freedom and I brought you out. You were not a people, and I made you my people. And therefore, you remember the Sabbath day. So what that means then is for us, Sabbath is not only a time to rest, it's also a time to gather with God's people for worship. It's not only a recognition that God is my creator, it's a time for me to recognize that God is my redeemer. And for believers, this leads to a second thing. There's not only this 
this rhythm of work and rest and work and worship, there is also the Sabbath reminds us where we're going to. Not only did Sabbath start in Genesis 1, where we are heading at the end of Revelation is eternal Sabbath rest. The book of Hebrews talks about Sabbath in all of chapter 4. I'm just going to quote verses 9 to 11. But listen to what God says. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fail by following their example of disobedience. Now, there's a lot going on in Hebrews 4, but here's the key thing that I want us to see this morning. The goal of all of history is for us to enter God's rest, to fully enjoy God and all of his blessings. You may not remember any other quotes of St. Augustine, but most of you have heard at the beginning of the Confessions when Augustine says, our hearts were made to worship you and we are restless until we find rest in you. Augustine was saying, look, I was made for Sabbath. That's what I was made for. I was made to rest in you. And then he's, gonna, he's beginning it off with this prayer, this long prayer he's going to be doing in the confessions, where he's going to go back and say, I went down every path trying to find rest. I went down every path trying to find who I was, and then I discovered who I was is found in you. What I was made for is found in rest in you. Friend, this is where you are going. Eternal Sabbath rest. And every week, God says, set aside a day where you get a foretaste of this, where you're going to rest from your labors. You're not doing anything. You're going to celebrate the gospel that gives us rest from our works. And you're going to worship God and look forward to eternal Sabbath. Because do you see how this is related? It's not just that I rest from my physical manual labor. I rest from the need to try and think I've got to earn God's favor. Because, see, we labor under this. We think that I have somehow got to get God's favor. And too many congregations, I go in, and every week what the meeting is, is here's 47 ways to get Jesus to like you or at least put up with you this week. That's not the gospel. Jesus doesn't just like me. He loves me. He eternally has loved me. I am his child. And Sabbath is that weekly reminder, I don't have to earn that. I can rest. I can put my works aside and live and receive what Christ has done and look forward to the eternal Sabbath. So for us, as believers, Sabbath is a double blessing. It provides me rest from my earthly labors, and it renews God's work in me as I look forward to my eternal Sabbath rest. That's what God is calling us to. And it's given to us by Jesus. And I want to remind you, as I'm sitting here talking, and we're going to talk about this and applying the word a little in just a moment, but if something in you says that there's just no way, I can't do that, you're being like a kid saying, I just can't do all the effort to unwrap that great gift underneath the tree. This is God's gift. But we struggle as Americans with this gift, okay? So much... 
I, I help lead a uh, pastor's prayer group, and we've decided for this year our whole focus is on Sabbath because many, many pastors do not do this well themselves. And then we wonder why the churches aren't doing it well. And then we wonder why in our culture we're not doing it. And see, it's deeply, you want to talk about what's worldly? It's getting caught in the rat race, the non-Sabbath rat race that is going on all around us. Americans take it as a badge of honor. Oh, you think you're busy, Marty? I'm twice as busy as you are. How would I respond if I said, oh, you think you got idols? I got twice as many idols as you do. You think you break the commands of God? I bet I break twice as many as you do. Isn't that what I'm doing when I say that I'm, I never can rest? What I'm actually saying is I don't trust God. If, if I slow down, this whole thing's going to come tumbling down which actually is silliness. It's not going to come tumbling down. God's going to keep working. So, so we struggle with this. Now, how do we apply this today? And we'll close with prayer. There's two questions I want us to ask or two things to think about, and they're related. You'll see how they're related. First is embracing the covenant of creation via limits. How many of you have ever seen either the bumper sticker or the T-shirts that say, no limits, right? We, see, that's a phrase we like in our culture. No limits, that's foolishness. If you are human, you are limited, absolutely, positively. But since the fall, humans have chased against any limits. And we believe that freedom is found in casting off limits. See, if I wore a shirt that said embrace limits, people would say, you don't believe in freedom. Yeah, I do. I just happen to know that freedom comes by embracing limits. Claiming no limits is actually slavery because it's not in accord with reality. Because humans are creatures, we have inherent limits given to us by God, and we only flourish when we recognize and embrace, not just limits, no, embrace them, hug them. This is who I was made to be. This is good for me. That's what flourishing looks like. Now, our culture thinks this is crazy. We don't like this, and you and I, make no mistake, are being molded. They're, they're shaping the way we think and the way we desire every day so that limits seem like slavery. Now, the limits I'm talking about, they're both physical and spiritual. They're natural and they're moral. Okay? We, we want to get away from accepting physical limits, which is why we don't like Sabbath that will come to a moment. We don't want to rest. We think that life is found in running constantly and going when it's actually not. There are also moral limits, okay? God gives commands and what it means to be human, and embracing those is what leads to flourishing. So the, the covenant of creation that we've been looking at is full of such limits, it defines how we relate to creation, what it means to be human and how I relate to other humans, and how I relate to God. 
And all of those have limits. There's kind of like ditches on both sides of the road. It's a broad road, but there are ditches that we can run into. So here's three ways to ask myself this question. Do I recognize that the path to flourishing is not no limits, but rather recognizing and submitting to our God-given limits? Okay, do I recognize it? And again, this is both natural. If I go on top of a building and fling myself off and holler no limits, I will find out there very much are limits right there. When I come crashing to the ground, there are limits. If I try to get by with insufficient sleep, I will discover there are limits. The same thing is true morally. If I try and violate God's commands, I find it doesn't work to me. So do I recognize this? Let me turn the question just a little bit. Do I recognize that freedom is found not in rejecting these God-given limits, but embracing them? Again, our culture is telling you and me, this is what we think freedom is. Freedom means no limits. Freedom means do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and anything else is not freedom. That is actually a perfect definition of slavery. Because it's not the way we were made. And what it ends up doing is you have the freedom of taking drugs, and pretty soon you don't have the freedom of not taking drugs. It ends up becoming very, very addictive. And so many people that are proclaiming freedom, if you want to find out how free they are, just say, well, then why don't you just stop doing that for a couple weeks? And we'll find out who's really free. See, freedom, because of the kind of creature we are, means to live in accord with my nature, live in accord with the way I was made. And so freedom is not no limits, but rather embracing the limits. And then one more twist on that question. Do I embrace the limits of the covenant of creation knowing that they define my humanity and are for my good? So again, it's not just begrudgingly accepting them. Do we recognize this is like another gift under the tree? This is for my good. God's made it this way. That's the first question, just limits in general. Second one is embracing the covenant of creation and even limits via the Sabbath. So notice the Sabbath is key in the story. God's building every day, and make no mistake, there's a real climax when we get to day six, and humans are made, which are in the image of God, greater than everything that has come before. But then there's a day seven that is a climax, which is Sabbath. And so it is huge in this story. And think about what it means for us being human. Our first full day is Sabbath. That's, we're created on day six. Our first full day as humans is day seven is Sabbath. We are called to imitate God in practicing Sabbath. Weekly worship is called for the people of God to remind us of our creation and our redemption. And biblically, we are heading to eternal Sabbath. You can't understand humanity apart from Sabbath. It structures our beginning and our end and everything in between. But our modern world 
has crowded out Sabbath. When I first started looking at the covenant of creation several weeks ago, the day I was sitting down and working on this and I was looking at Sabbath, my New York Times Digest that I get every day had two articles in it, two big articles in the Digest out of the whole New York Times. And here's what they were. Number one, a Japanese convenience store was being forced to shut down because the guy had taken off a holiday. And the corporation said, you will not. 24-7, 365. You will be open. You will be earning. And the guy said, I, I couldn't even find any workers. I had to take a day off. And they stopped supplying his store. And they just said, you're done. And I was like, well, that's, that is certainly not Sabbath. The other one was, and oddly enough, this was down in Puerto Rico, but they're trying to pass a law regarding kids and youth sports because they have become such an out-of-control problem and the parents won't ever say no that everybody's running all the time. And so now the government down there is saying, we got to figure out some way to get people to slow down. And that was just two articles on that day that I was sitting down and looking at this in just the digest of the New York Times. But if you look around our culture, it is all over the place. Uh, I, I read a book one time on Sabbath, and there was a guy who had come to go to seminary here in America. He was from Africa. And after he had been here for like six months, his family told him, you are becoming so American. And he said, what, what do you mean? And they said, every time we ask how you're doing, you say, I'm busy. Busy. And they said, you never said that before. Now, no matter what, you're busy. Because, see, busy is a badge of honor for us. I bet I'm busier than you. What that means is, ultimately, I bet I think the universe depends more on me than you think it depends on you. I bet I'm so busy I can't take a day off. I can't rest is what that ultimately means. But think about how that is in our culture. We think, see, if you look today, the people we count as most successful are the ones who have no time. Throughout the history of the world, you know what it meant to be successful? You could pay other people to do the work for you. So you could rest, but see, in our culture, oh no, 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 the, the, the powerful people all argue about who's busier and who gets by on less sleep and takes less days off. That's just insane. There's no other word for it. And it's completely out of kilter with the covenant of creation. So a couple questions and we'll close with prayer. Do I regularly practice Sabbath? Do I, if, if you sit here right now, if I were to come up to you and say, when is a 24-hour period every week you shut down? Now, I can tell you, because obviously Sunday for me is, is my work day. Friday, if you haven't, if you call my phone on Friday, you're going to get a voicemail that says, Hi, this is Brett. It's Friday, January the whatever. Uh, I am not taking digital communications today. Uh, voicemails, texts, emails, I'm not doing any of them. My phone is on Do Not Disturb. If you got an emergency, call one of the other elders, call church staff. They can get through to me. Otherwise, leave a voicemail. I will get back to you tomorrow. I have an alarm that goes off that reminds me to do that every Friday. 
when, do, do you have a day of Sabbath? A day that you say, not going to do anything. If you still have kids at home, do you practice Sabbath as a family? When our kids were young, and they got all the, we settled in, ours ran from Saturday at like 6.30 to Sunday at 6.30. And that meant several things. Number one, made me immensely popular as a dad, but the, the answer to your question for can I do this on Sunday is no. God, family, a few close friends. I want to join this sports team. Does it play on Sunday? If so, the answer is no. We don't do that. We're not going around. When you want to know what mom's cooking, it's called nothing. Whatever you want, the kitchen is in there. It's called fend for yourself. That's what we used to call it. And when you're done, put the dishes in the sink. We'll get to them later. It was a slow down day. And that is, if, if you're hearing that and you're thinking, I couldn't, that just, and you're starting to get tense, you are addicted to a drug, friend. It's a gift to say, I'm not doing it. My Sabbath, my grass could be knee high. It ain't getting mowed on Sunday. It's just not happening. Not going to do it. It's not that important. It will be there, oddly enough, I've noticed this, it'll still be there the next day. And I can get to it. Do you have that? Do you set aside regular time for rest and renewal? Do I make it a priority to gather with God's people each week for worship? That this is here. This is, this is part of who I am. This structures my week. And ultimately what all these questions are asking is, do I accept limits? Or do I let my restless quest crowd Sabbath right out of my life? Because that's what it wants to do. See, again, we're against the limits. And so there are people who immediately respond and say, you can't do this in the modern world. Yes, you can. It's simply a choice that we make. We're back to what it means to be human. Okay? You, you can choose to eat from the tree or not eat from the tree. And we can choose to say, I'm going to settle in and have a rhythm of Sabbath. And I want to tell you, when you do, it is a huge weight off your shoulders. You, you won't approach it. I don't look every week as I'm heading into Friday and saying, oh, it's another day i got to rest. Another day with just me and Linda. Another day where I'm not going to work and somehow everything will keep on going. If you think that's how I approach Fridays, you're crazy. I'm like, oh, yes, this is a day of rest. Everything else will be back tomorrow. So do we practice that? I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to receive this great gift from God. He is here, not as a burden. He's saying, remember Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, and you're going to find rest for your soul. So I want to encourage you to think about that this week. What we're going to do is we're going to stand together, and I'm going to conclude with a, a prayer, 
And uh, this prayer is actually based on a, a prayer that was gathered from some Puritan writings, and then it was actually turned into a worship song. And I've modified it, edited it lightly. But I encourage you to pray this along with me for us to say, God, we want to be your people. We want to hear and respond to your word, whatever that word would be. O great God of highest heaven, occupy the throne of my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. For you have created and redeemed me. Make me yours forevermore. Lord, I confess I was blinded by my sin. I had no ears to hear your voice. I did not know your love within. I had no taste for heaven's joys. But then your Spirit gave me life and opened your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, you've given me endless hope and peace. So help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from all the evils that I face. Oh, you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Oh, Lord, you are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Lord, we pray you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. May you be blessed by the Lord your God who has chosen you as his people and given you his word. May you be filled with Sabbath rest and all the blessings of creation and redemption through Jesus Christ, your covenant Lord. Go forth in his blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.